my uh, my great grandfather was a policeman up in Buffalo and was buried in a part of a cemetery that had to be moved. Um, they were taking highways, so my dad says I remember as a kid. Um, going over there to the place where they had to move the caskets, had to have a family member to be there. And uh, Pop says, I remember the casket opening, and he says all that was left was his brass buttons, you know. Yeah, was, he just was gone. Um, John Calvin, um, although his body is turned to dust, there'll be a day that we'll see him. And we'll maybe, that's not how all the pictures look, you know. Uh, but as scripture talks about it, we'll see him and know him as he is of our Lord Jesus, and I'm sure all of those who have gone on before. Uh, let's just pray first. Father, thank you. It's a, it's a glorious privilege that we have to gather as your children. Thank you for being the sheep of your fold. Thank you that when you speak, uh, our ears can be attuned to your words in order that we might be uh, led safely. Thank you for the provision and protection uh, that you afford us and for your hand that graciously guides us. Thank you that you don't force us or restrict us in such a way, but allow us to grow in grace and mercy in order that we're more perfected servants for your use. At this time, we approach your word and want to learn of those things which we still have need to know. Uh, there is much in order that our life can be better prepared for the relationships that we engage in um, now and in, in the future, uh, that the word might live in us, that people might see Christ in us. And we pray it in his name. Amen. How do you feel about waiting? How about long waits? Do you like those? Remember going to the post office near Christmas time and you got something you got to get done and there they all are, stacks of boxes, you know, and they only have one or two at the counter, you know, the ah, you know, sometimes maybe in the bank or, or whatever, the same thing. Talk about a contradiction of terms. How about emergency room, waiting room, you know? It's an emergency. Well, please, into the waiting room. And there they are all waiting, you know, with bangs up and stuff like that. Or, or even the fast food restaurants, when they're understaffed. And it's not fast food. You don't receive it, you know. It's far from that. I think these are examples that are fairly common in life that we would say are casual examples of waiting where frustration becomes, can become uh, something more of an irritant, but we've made it through. There are other times, though, that they are more serious, more difficult times of waiting. The young couple that has been praying to the Lord and asking for him to bring a child into their life, and they remain childless. They're wondering why God has allowed that. Or even the young person who has desired to find a mate and the Lord hasn't provided such. Or the CT scan or the MRI, and it was taken, and well, you're going to have to wait a week or so for those results. I think those and other situations are not always easy to accept or to understand or to wait for. 
So much of our day, of our life, is based upon fitting the necessities of life into a 24-hour period. And it seems, in, compared to long before, we have so much more ability to do things faster and more, uh, you know, co combine everything, and there still isn't enough time to accomplish the tasks that we would like to do, that we plan to do, and frustration results. Two weeks ago in Philadelphia, Mike, it was an afternoon, um, uh, Vietnamese couple were driving down the road and the husband uh, was driving and they got to a spot and his SUV pulls in front of him and the passenger door opened up and the guy goes, boom, and shoots him. And the reason was he was going too slow. You know, well, they've arrested the young man and his mother who was driving the vehicle. Frustration, you know. Uh, I've got things to do. I've got places to go. I've got people to see. Our blood pressure is often off the chart because of time constraints that we're working under. I get upset because people just don't understand my schedule. They don't understand what I've got to go through. At our office complex, five o'clock is generally the going home time. And so we usually let everybody out like 10 minutes before five or 10 minutes after because, you know, it's zoom, 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 zoom. I can't wait to get home. You know, it's, it's squeeze it in and the faster we go, the more we can get done. There's a deadline to be taken care of and it can't wait. My point is, as Christians, it's very easy to shift our impatience in the secular world or in the world in which we live to our relationship with God. I become impatient when my schedule, my timing, my plans, my preparations aren't met, and then all of a sudden I walk over to my spiritual side and, and there's very little difference. I may not express it in so many terms, but I become frustrated and irritated at God when it all doesn't work down at the same time that I would like it to happen. It's most important and most necessary that we understand that waiting on the Lord is an act of obedience. It's his time and not my time. It's his time and not my time. To be honest with you, waiting is the hardest work of hope. When we turn to the Bible, we think of God himself as the sovereign of the universe and all power. He knows all things, taking care of all of the plans and all putting it together. And there are times when we just uh, don't quite understand why it's not as I see it. Yet he assures us over and over to wait. Psalm 37, 7, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. It doesn't mean you're talking about, oh, he's coming and he'll be here soon, you know. Karen, thank you for being here today. We waited patiently. Later on in that same chapter, the psalmist says, Wait on the Lord and keep his way, and, she, and he shall exalt thee to inherit the land. Not a suggestion by the psalmist. Not, Guys, you're reading this. It's not a bad thing to wait on the Lord. You know? This is a good idea. Mark it down if you can fit it in. 
it's not necessarily a command per se, but it's that which he anchors a nail to and pulls at. And, and to be honest with you, it's something that we've known in our heads, but we have to be reassured again, even as the psalmist did. As you open up your Bibles, you find many interesting examples. God comes to Abraham at the age of 75. Abraham, you're going to have a son. You know, well, that's not a bad thing. You're going to be the ancestor of a great nation. But it's not going to happen today. Not going to happen tomorrow. As a matter of fact, you're going to have to wait 24 years. <laughs> Think about being 75 years old and told you're going to have to wait 24 years until the promise comes about. How much insurance and how much concern that presents. God told the nation of Israel, his people, that they'd be a nation able to live outside of slavery in Egypt. They'd be able to live independent on their own in the land that he's promised, but they're going to have to wait 400 years. Wow. And then God told Moses that he would lead these same people to the promised land, but they'd have to go through the wilderness and in essence wait for 40 years. 40 years of waiting. Hard to understand. Then came the promise of the Messiah, our Savior, the Redeemer from God. He would come. God's people waited. And they waited. And they waited. Generation after generation after generation. Had he forgotten? And the strangest thing of all, Messiah did come, but he was only recognized by a few. He wasn't at all as though people weren't waiting. Well, there were only a few who were really waiting and anticipating and looking for his return, and those were the ones who recognized that he was there. Luke chapter 2 tells us about two people who recognized Messiah because they were waiting in anticipation. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. The same man was just and devout. And then the verse goes on and says, waiting for the consolation of Israel. The Holy Ghost was upon him. Waiting for the consolation of Israel. The prize that Israel for years and generations had been waiting for. And, and he was waiting, and therefore he says, I want to see this prize, looking forward to. Verse 26, and it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And came by the Holy Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, he took him by in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now let us thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation. For his life, he, he says, I'm waiting. And he waited even that very day when Mary and Joseph brought the child in. And he says, that's it. 
That's it. And then a little bit farther down, verse 36. And there was one Anna, a prophet, the daughter of Penuel, the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and had lived with her husband, with an husband seven years from her virginity. And she was a widow, about four score and four days, four score and four years, which had not departed from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayer night and day. And she was coming in, coming in that instant and gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of all them that looked for, or was looking forward to, anticipating, looked for the redemption of Israel, just like Simeon. She served the Lord in the temple. And, and her heart's anticipation was looking forward, and she never stopped. And she saw him. So Messiah did come. Jesus lived and, and taught, especially those last years with his disciples, lots of things. But one of the things he talked about was the kingdom and about his return, what they should expect in the things that were going on. But what happened? He's crucified, you know? Leading up to all of this, you know, talk about the kingdom and, and, and all of these things, and, and he was crucified. And then we read that he's getting ready to ascend up into heaven, and they ask him again, are you going to restore the kingdom? Is our waiting over? They got the picture that he rose from the dead. They got the picture that he was there, and there he's standing on the, on, on the mount ready to go up. And is it now? The anticipation still waiting for those things to happen. Jesus had one more command in the book of Acts. He says, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait. Last words before he ascended up into heaven. He said, wait. And they did. They waited in the upper room and the Holy Spirit came upon them. That didn't mean that the waiting was over for the human race, though. He hasn't come back. Has, has he returned, by the way, anybody? No. Still waiting? The Apostle Paul writes in Romans 8, And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. Oh, it's coming someday. Someday for all of those who have gone on before. John Calvin, the, the, the spirit is with the Lord now, but one day that body will be taken up. And for those of us who have gone to the grave, one day those of us who are in Christ, that body will become the redemption of the body, and we will see him. We will recognize our Savior. <laughs> we wait, and we wait, and we wait. Old Testament actually gives the command, wait for the Lord 43 times. You, different authors, different situations, but the same principle that's there, the same understanding. And the picture actually runs all the way through the Bible to the very last words of the last book. 
John says, He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. John says, yes, he's coming, but hurry up. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. The wait continues. I think the obvious question for us is, why does God make us wait? Ever think of that? He could accomplish anything at all at once and and do it completely. But there's a purpose in his waiting. There's a purpose in putting these things all together. If he can do anything, as he understands all things, why doesn't he bring us relief and answers now? I certainly don't understand it. None of us do, and we won't truly understand it completely until the day that we're with him. But to paraphrase another pastor, he said, what God does in us while we wait is as important as what he, we are waiting for. What God is doing in us while we are waiting is as important as what we're waiting for. We're waiting for the redemption of our bodies. We're waiting for the, the, the kingdom to be established. But, but the Lord says, in essence, what I'm doing in you until that time comes is as important as that time when you get on. Think of all the preps you got to do for vacations, you know. Got to get the bags packed. You got to get this and all packed and make sure the dog's taken care of and all of the, all the refrigerator empty and so forth. You got the tickets. You got this and all this other. And you get, and then you got to go through security and all this other stuff. And those things are all important, even as the vacation aspect is. And so it is with us. Paul says that while we're waiting for God to set everything right, we suffer. But Tribulation, the suffering of this current life and that we're experiencing, produces patience. And patience produces experience, and experience produces hope. God is producing in us qualities that aren't natural to us, that are foreign to us, that we need to learn. And if we're not learning them, then he maybe starts the process over again with a little more tribulation. What that means is that biblically waiting is not just something we have to do until we get what we want, but waiting is part of the process of becoming the people God wants us to be. You know, we wait. Is it time yet? Is it time yet? Is it time yet? God says, no, you're not listening. What's taking place in you now is as important as the time that you go. The changing of who we are to be the people that he wants us to be. Once in a while, Millie reminds me of the times when she and her, some of her older siblings went out to the garden and they had planted camote out there, some, uh, a little different type of sweet potato. And she says, we kids understood that uh, that was uh, father's garden. We're not to touch it. And she says, we'd dig down and get some of those, check those camote out. And he said, well, they weren't ready. We thought they were. So we'd put them back in and tamp the ground background, you know, and thinking that, well, they're not ready, but he'll know. Tata came home, and he knew that people were messing with his garden, and he was a little bit upset at the kids doing that. We, we want to get the things out before they're ready. 
we're not going to be leaving until we are ready. In the time that remains, I want to talk about what it means to wait on the Lord. However, I think we would look first at what biblical waiting on the Lord is not, and that we can eliminate that. Biblically, waiting on the Lord is not a passive waiting around for something or someone to come along that will allow us to escape our trouble. Ah, when's it going to take place? I'm just waiting. People somehow say, I'm just waiting on the Lord as an excuse that they're not facing up on reality and what's taking place in their life. I'm just waiting on the Lord to take care of this. An excuse not to take the right actions, not to own up to their own responsibilities. That's not waiting on the Lord. That's not doing what's right. I've heard some people say with horrible financial habits, impulsive spending and no understanding of any any form of savings whatsoever, and they get into a huge financial mess, and they say, well, I'm just waiting on the Lord to help me out, you know? I'm waiting on the Lord to meet this need and thinking that all of a sudden that this envelope's going to come from Wells Fargo and says, sorry, there was a mistake on our part. And here's $500 that, you know, that, that we owe you. you know. See, that's going to happen. That's how the Lord's going to solve all my financial issues. I've heard those who would say, the government is going to send another incentive check. You know, that's going to cover it all. I can go out and buy this or buy that because he's promised another check's in the mail. And yet the debt continues on both ends. Waiting on the Lord is, in this case, is probably meaning enrolling in a, better off enrolling in a Christian stewardship seminar and learning about biblical principles of life and finances and how we ought to be dealing with these things. Biblical waiting is not passive. It's not a way to avoid difficulties. But biblical waiting on the Lord, however, is a strong, confident, disciplined, expectant, active, and sometimes painful way of clinging to the Lord, holding on to him as if there is none other. Waiting on the Lord is the continual daily decision to say, God, I will trust you, and I will obey you through circumstances of my life. They are not turning out my own way. I want them to, and they may never turn out the way that I want them to. But I'm betting everything on you, God. There is no plan B. That's a hard decision, hard understanding to take, because it doesn't make logical sense. The only thing that makes sense is what other people are doing and what I think it needs to be accomplished at this time, but waiting on the Lord is not easy. So waiting, indeed, is an act of obedience, but it also is a matter of having a patient trust on the Lord, and they kind of are principles that are combined, a trusting heart. I was thinking that waiting on the Lord requires patience. Can I trust God? that he is, has good reasons for telling me to wait. I'm experiencing the wait. God hasn't answered prayers or whatever the particular issue is. But can I trust him as he's put me in this particular box, in this, in this, this 
parameters here that he knows better than I do, causing me to wait. I don't know what those reasons are, but I will trust the Lord knows what he's doing. Will I remember those things and look differently at God because he views things from eternity? That's the issue. I'm here on this particular level, and he's viewing it from the case of eternity, and he says, this is the best way for you to go. Years ago, I lived in Kansas, and I had some roommates who lived in Colorado, and driving from Kansas out to Colorado, it's all flatlands, and all of a sudden, here's the Rockies, and they go right straight up. And you get to those places where you get around the curves and the passes and so forth, and, and here's a bridge out. Well, there's no just turning over to another road. You've got to go all the way back. And there's times in life when that's what we find up doing. We're going along, and all of a sudden, here's the roadblock. And he said, well, I'll just turn around, and I'll try it again. Same results. The bridge is still out. Try it again. The bridge is still out. God's up from his viewpoint. And he's saying, the bridge has been out for some time, and it's going to be out. I want you to go another way. We have to trust in the direction that he's given us that he knows best from his purview. That's what Peter writes about in 2 Peter 3. Beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us where not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God has a different perspective than we do. He always has. And we would like to think, I understand God's will, but it doesn't always work out like that. There was a young man who read this passage and thought, but this is absolutely phenomenal. He talked to the Lord and he says, Lord, is it true that a thousand years is one day to you? One day is a thousand years? God says, sure, that's, that's right. Young man says, well, Lord, a million dollars must seem to you like a penny, you know, like nothing at all. Lord says, yeah, that's pretty much it. Young man says, well, Lord, will you give me one of those pennies? And the Lord says, sure, wait a minute. Often we want God's resources, but we don't want his timing. We want an answer to something, but we don't want to wait because the purpose of all of the waiting hasn't been accomplished to get to that particular stage in life. We forget his work while we wait, which is important in the matter of waiting. Patient waiting means that I trust that God knows what he's doing at all times. I think of the many Christians who are single, living in a society where there's tremendous pressures of singleness and what that means. And so they decide they're going to go live with somebody. Or they decide that they're going to find somebody and just just live together. Marriage is whatever you define it as and however we forecast it. And then all of a sudden, down the road, it becomes disastrous. Lives are shattered. Hope is all gone. 
Another situation is a matter of health, an illness that can simply linger on without healing. Why? Years ago, there was a, when he worked at the Marcus Hook Church when it was still in Chester, um, we go to this nursing home and there was a, a lady in one of the rooms who had shingles. She was a very elderly lady. And it came down from, her hair is very thin, it came down from the top of her head, down her, her face and all across her eye like that, and then some down her back. And she was in misery. Christian, godly lady. And she said, every single day, I says, Lord, why don't you take me home? Why are you putting me through all of this? You know, so we prayed and we talked about it. And she has a, there's a roommate and one had just left. And she says, nobody here? He said, well, they'll bring in somebody. I said, do you ever think that the reason God has you in here and the only reason that he's keeping you here is that you have a testimony, a witness to the other roommates who come in there? If he heals your, your, your shingles or if he takes you home, then that witness is gone. I don't know. I don't know the reason or the purpose for those things. But there are reasons for which we don't understand that God says they're best for me to deal with. And sometimes illnesses and struggles physically often are accompanied in those very areas. If God wishes to heal, then he'll heal. If God wishes to deal with the situation that we find absolutely not understandable and frustrating, he can do it. But in his purview, he says, no, we're going to keep it this way. And and, and you have the list of names of people, Brother Tim mentions, we've been praying for these people and praying, you know. And, and, well, maybe that's good to pray and it's honest with it, but maybe God's intent is not to heal them. God's intent is to keep them in that particular stage until something else happens. And to be honest with you, the moment we're born, we start dying anyways, you know. <laughs> the longer we live, the more aches and pains and, and, uh, and such happens. 2 Corinthians 12, the Apostle Paul talks about his thorn in the flesh. And some said, well, he probably, if you follow Paul's journeys, he went through some swampy areas, and probably he got malaria. Uh, he talks about, uh, uh, I think at the end of Galatians, he talks about signing with his own hand or large print or whatever. Uh, he obviously had poor eyesight. Uh, he didn't have the cataract surgery. That's what he should have had, you know. Um, whatever the particular thorn in the flesh was, uh, he comes and he gives this, this testimony of it. Uh, verse 8 of 2 Corinthians 12. For this thing, meaning this thorn in the flesh, I besought the Lord thrice, three times. And whatever that meant, whether it was a season of prayer or a particular grievance that he had with him, three times he, he brings it up that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, this is God saying to Paul, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then am I strong. Heal Paul, and he's not going to be coming to the Lord and say, Lord, I need you, I need you, I need you. And Paul, God says, grace will see you through. 
You remain with this physical infirmity all your life, whatever it is, but whatever I call you to do, I've equipped you, and you'll go on, and I'll see it's accomplished. So when the day is done, Paul can't look back and said, boy, I was really good there, and I say, and God, thank you for what you helped me with. Paul says, through it all, it was God. Through it all, it was God. Waiting requires an absolute and patient trust. That's what's required. The second truth about this is that awaiting patient trust on God requires humility. Waiting is not, as we mentioned earlier, is not something that comes natural to us. You know, um, when I arrived, and maybe Greg got a little bit of this, when I got to the Philippines, um, all of these things are just thrown away. Watches. When it come time to do a class or come time for such, we're going to meet so-and-so at such-and-such a time. And, and I says, come on, Millie, let's go, let's go. And we get there and nobody's there. You know, what's the matter? You know, <sighs> well, it's Filipino time or American time. Which one do you want? You know, and some of it I understood because there weren't, you know, a lot of people didn't have watches or there were places without electricity or things like that. But some of it's just, you know, and the frustration level for me was just through the roof until after a while I got to understand that. And I just took, took me down a notch. It brings you to humility. It's not all about me. God says you need to be humble to understand the way I work. Waiting is something by its nature. doesn't come naturally. To wait for something is to recognize that I am not in control. I don't call the shots. It wasn't up to me to wake those people up and make sure that they leave the house at such and such a time and that they bring everything they're doing. That's up to them. And so it is spiritually. When it comes time for my waiting on God, who's in charge? God, don't you understand? Bob stands in the back door back there and Tim's up here going, just a couple more minutes on this lesson. And Bob's there, you know, come on, Tim, it's time, you know. God says, I've got the best time, and therefore we have to be humble and recognize that it is his time. In our society, there's a direct correlation between status and waiting. The higher on the food chain, the less you have to wait. Well, in our Christian life, we recognize the purposes of waiting. But we're not just waiting around. We're waiting on God, for God to do something in us. Therefore, we can trust his wisdom and his timing as we wait with confidence. Why are we waiting? To accomplish, to get to that stage? No, we're waiting as God works in us to develop us, to make us the people that he wants us to be. All works together. Now, with that in mind, what's the single most important activity for people waiting on God? Quiz show. We're waiting on God, waiting on his time. What's the single most important activity that we have to be involved in? How? Well, we've gone through that already. How about praying? How about prayer? As I'm waiting, as I'm going through these things, how do I come to him and say, Lord, these things are upon me. 
Help me. It's prayer. It sounds so simple, but that's the connection to tie all of what he's doing with me and the times that I'm struggling with him or with the situation I found myself in. Prayer allows me as creatures, as humbled human beings, to wait on the Lord without worry. Recently, I've had a night waking up about 3.30 and it was difficult to sleep. Things going in the mind. Your body can be tired, but all of a sudden those gears just keep going and going and going and going and going. And it just happens like that. What if I don't get what is needed? What if things don't turn out the way I think they ought to turn out? But I had nothing else to do. I couldn't call whatever the particular situation or send some emails out. And everybody in the whole town is fast asleep. I can't do anything like that. The only, only responsible action that I had was to pray and just say, Lord, this is yours, and leave it on him. And it took a while, but at time, it slowly works it out. Remember the disciples? They were crossing the Sea of Galilee, and that great storm hit. Oh, we're about to die. The waves are going in. Where's the master? Where was he? The back of the boat, sound asleep. Had he taken some sleeping pills? Was he physically exhausted that he didn't feel the ship about to sink? He had absolute peace and trust in the timing and the workings of his heavenly father during this tumultuous time that the disciples were saying, and they awake him and they say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he says, peace. He had no frustrations because his implicit trust was on the timetable of his heavenly father to accomplish the things that his heavenly father wanted to accomplish. Such was the lesson that David was learning. That's the introduction to our message. If you would look at Psalm 27. Psalm 27. Start at verse 11. This is our a hymn. You, some of you may know it. I, Mike, do you know it? I hope. Our insert. You know the hymn for later on? Right. Notice what David says. And remember the background. He's at complete confidence in God. He comes to the place where he says, I want to draw closer to him, spend more time with him. And then last week we saw how he unloads on God. He says, don't you listen? Don't you care? Now he comes back and he says, teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path because of mine enemies. It's a learning process. It's a sanctification. God changing David from what David was to become the man that David needs to be. He didn't answer all of his questions. He didn't solve all of the, the enemy was still out there, and it would always be out there as long as David was alive. Saul was there, the Philistines were there, Absalom was there, whatever the, the conflict that he was struggling with, it's still there. But David says, teach me your way, the way you want it. Lead me in a path, not remove the enemies, but lead me in a plain path. 
because of what's going on. Verse 12, deliver me not over to the will of mine enemies, for false witnesses are risen up against me. You can hear the words being thrown around at him. And such as breathe out cruelty. I had fainted unless, in other words, it was so bad that that was a throw in the towel, you know. I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. How did he get to that stage? But a humble, obedient trust, peaceful trust in the God that he loved. He comes and he says, I would have fainted. I would have collapsed if it was not for knowing the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Now, verse 14, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Isn't that neat? Many, many times he says this. But this is his, his experience. What I'm going through right now, he's penning these things about. He says, this is the, the struggle that I've got. And my final word of, of explanation, of testimony is, well... I've learned I have to wait on the Lord. It's not my timing. It's not my results. But God is going to work in me a thing that will make it accomplish as he wants. You know. It's hard, Lord. Isn't, is it easy to wait on the Lord, by the way? <laughs> it's not. We can see these limitations. And I don't know how else it can happen. One more verse from the prophet Isaiah. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And results, we do make it through. If we don't wait on the Lord, we become roadkill. And, you know, life becomes just a, a tragedy. You know, we just don't have those victories. I've been doing a um, I just work-wise, is just sitting and reading, so I've um, got my audible books and I'm doing some listening now and when I'm just sitting around. And the most recent one that I'm going through right now, it's entitled My Hitch in Hell by Lester Tenney. Uh, Lester Tenney was an American soldier in the tank corps, um, 1940, and got shipped over to the Philippines before the Japanese invasion. And uh, they got captured right away. And they were herded up with the thousands and thousands of American soldiers and Filipinos that were put on the, the Bataan Death March. Uh, the tragedy of 65 miles being done in 12 days. They had uh, hardly any rations. They were beaten. They were abused. And, and they had just finished their time. He said there was hardly any of us who didn't have dysentery, malaria, beriberi, some other disease. He says, we lost weight like nobody's business. And he says a number of times, not only through this, but they take him to this camp, they put him in there, he escapes, uh, he picked up, put him in back into the camp again, then they move him to another camp, uh, then he gets a, a boat, a slow boat to Japan. He's now in, in Japan shoveling coal in the mines, you know. Every day, that's tragedy, tragedy. And, and, and all through it, I'm picking up this thing, how do I make it another day? 
He says, just by one day. Just by one day. He says, if I look down the road and say, how am I going to make it a week or a month? Or, you know, and he was in prison for three and a half years. Three and a half years. And how am I going to make it? He does it one day at a time. So as we, as we understand this principle of waiting on the Lord, we do it one day at a time. Irrespective of, of what's, what's surrounding us, what enemies are there, what struggles that we're going through, the physical, the, the people, the, the, the whole world situation. Lord, I'll just take it one day at a time. Wait upon the Lord. The lessons to be learned, they're in his hands. Trust him. Let's pray. Father, as we close this portion of your word, we're thankful for David's testimony throughout this psalm. And it was his joy to find confidence in you, to um, find a heart's desire to worship you, um, his burden to pray, and then this, this final plea uh, to us to wait on you. Uh, Lord, we confess every one of us, that it's hard to do. It's hard to, uh, to find out the answers of why these things are taking place or when will we get out of this or that, but it's in your hands. Thank you that your word provides us with, uh, with, uh, with a banquet table of truth. And as we read and understand what David went through and what the, uh, the other characters of Old and New Testaments, we see they too walked the same path. And as they waited upon you, uh, one by one, uh, you picked them up. You uh, made them uh, run like the youth. Uh, you, you flew them to realms that the world could not understand. Uh, strengthen us, Father, in, in our day, uh, not to rest upon our own strength or wisdom or, or our own laurels, but to trust and place ourselves in your hands, irrespective of what goes on, because you are our God. You're our Redeemer and our Savior and soon-coming King. It's in your name we pray. Amen.